Our scripture reading today will be from Philippians chapter 4. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles this morning, you'll find that on page 982. Again, Philippians chapter 4, and we'll be reading verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen and amen. Thank you, Kurt. Good morning, church. I'm um, Grateful to have the opportunity to, uh, to speak. It's always um, my greatest privilege to open the Word of God. Uh, I hate the, the circumstances under which I do it and um, encourage you to continue to pray for, for Pastor Toby and his family. And um, that is the topic of uh, our, our studies here since the beginning of the year, prayer, right? And um, we typically preach through books of the Bible systematically, but uh, there are times where it's useful to focus in on a particularly important theme. Is there anything more important than prayer? And the reason that, that Pastor Toby has put this theme before us, the reason that the elders support this theme in, this, in these uh, several weeks opening the year, is that, that we want this to be a praying church. I mean, that's the, that's the, the title, right? A praying church. Because we know without prayer, there is no power. Without prayer, the words from this pulpit are not effective. Without prayer, our ministries in this church are not effective. Without prayer, our efforts in evangelism are not going to be effective. And, and prayer, is, prayer is a unique ministry. You ever think about prayer as a ministry? Prayer is a unique ministry in the church in that it is shared equally by all of us. Have you ever thought about yourself in that way? That you have an equal part in the ministry of prayer to everyone else in here, to the elders, to Pastor Toby, to Pastor Chad. We have an equal part in that ministry of prayer. And I don't think I'm overstating it to say 
The ministry of prayer, your ministry of prayer, is as vital to this church as anything that the pastors do. It's as vital to the church as anything that the elders do, anything that the teachers do, anything that anybody doing ministry in, in, the, in our church building this morning. Prayer is as vital to, to our church as any of those ministries. And if I am not devoted to prayer for this church, if you are not devoted to prayer for this church, if each and every one of us are not devoted to prayer for this church, this church is not what it could be. You are vital to this church. Each and every one of us is vital to this church in the ministry of prayer. We expect our, our, our pastors, especially our full-time pastors, Toby and Chad, to serve us faithfully. It's unfair for us to expect that of them if we are not praying for them. We are sending them out on the front lines with no protection and saying good luck if we are not praying for them. I think in Philippians 4 this morning, I wonder, I've never met a Christian who is totally satisfied with their prayer life. Have you? In some ways that's discouraging. In some ways that's just a part of the Christian maturity process that will never be fully there until we get to heaven. But but I wonder if the reason we often struggle in prayer is that we don't have the right view of it. Or we don't have a complete view of it. Now, Philippians 4 challenges our view of prayer. It challenges my view of prayer. And it seems fitting that we should begin with prayer. God, we come to you and we're grateful that you hear us. We're grateful that we can come to you as our father and not some distant dictator. We're grateful that you have given us your word to guide us. You haven't left us to stumble in the dark. We pray that your word would be clear to us. I feel so inadequate. Would you speak clearly this morning? Would you change us and challenge us and encourage us and strengthen us through your word? I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> this text has been pretty brutal to me this week, if you haven't figured that out. The modern teaching on prayer often goes something like this in, in some form or fashion, that, that prayer is the conduit to God's blessing. You ever heard something like that? Prayer is the conduit to God's blessing. And, and it's hard to argue with the sentiment of that, right? If, if you want 
God's blessing, you've got to pray. But, but it, for me, if you ask me, do I agree with that statement, it really depends on what you mean by that. Right? If you mean by that, that, that prayer is kind of the magic formula to get what you want from God, which is often the, t- the teaching of the modern church, right? We wouldn't, we wouldn't agree with that, right? I mean, that, you're going to have trouble supporting that in Scripture, and you're going to be pretty disappointed if that's your view of prayer, because it's a very small view of prayer. In, in fact, it's a very small view of God. You see, when we, what we're going to see in, in Philippians 4 is that prayer is not simply the means to blessing. Uh, the, the title is, um, the title of the sermon this morning is The Blessing of Prayer. That prayer, this challenges my view of prayer. Prayer itself is a blessing. Prayer is not a means to an end necessarily. Sometimes it is the end. Spurgeon made this statement, the very act of prayer is a blessing. And anything which makes us pray is a blessing. You ever think about that? I mean, that's, that's counter to the way we typically think about prayer, right? I come to, to pray to ask for, for something, right? And then we think of blessing is that God answers my prayer, so now I'm, you know, I'm going to put on Twitter a hashtag blessed, right, because God answered my prayer. But that's such a small view of prayer. The act of praying itself brings great blessing, regardless of the answer that comes. And, and, and therefore, anything that drives me to pray, any circumstance, any trial, any difficulty, any pain, any suffering, if that drives me to my knees, that itself is a, is a blessing. Is that, is that the way you think about your, I mean, come on, be honest. Is that the way you think about your, your trials? That, that, that trial comes into your life, that difficult circumstance, that pain, that suffering, is the first thing you think of, man, this is going to make me pray. What a blessing! That, that's, that's not natural human behavior, right? But what we'll see in Philippians 4 is that is divine behavior that is connected to prayer. The main idea for this morning is this statement, prayer brings joy and peace regardless of circumstances. Prayer brings joy and peace regardless of circumstances. And we don't have time to, to talk about Philippians in the context, but just remember as we're reading this, this is, this is amazing to think about this. Paul is writing these words. He's not writing them from his mansion on a hill. He's not... He's not blogging from his private jet. Uh, He's writing these from prison. And he's saying, rejoice in the Lord in all all things. And so the the outline this morning is very basic. We're going to look at joy, and we're going to look at peace. And we're going to see how prayer connects those, and how those are connected to prayer. So the first one we'll look at is divine joy. Let me just read... Uh, the first uh, few verses of this again. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. 
Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. What we're talking about here, and notice I didn't put joy up there. I put divine joy. This is, this is not human joy. This says rejoice in the Lord. This is divine joy. Human joy, man, human joy is a roller coaster, isn't it? Human joy is, is what we call happiness. And the word happiness comes from the word happenstance, right? It's directly tied to circumstance. Human joy is a roller coaster. Human joy is so fragile. Human joy is, is so unstable. It's so unsatisfying in that it's so temporary. That is not what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about a divine joy. Rejoice in the Lord. And, and I hesitate to define joy here, um, but, but I, I want us to have something to anchor to here. So I would say this. This is certainly included in divine joy. Divine joy, I think I've got the, the definition here. Divine joy results in being satisfied, content, and grateful, regardless of circumstances. That is not humanly possible. That's why it is divine joy. We rejoice in the Lord. It is divine joy. Divine joy is disconnected from circumstances. In our, in our Sunday school class, we've been studying the Beatitudes, and... Um, we haven't gotten very far because it's hard to get past kind of the, this introduction of what does it mean to be blessed. And if you've ever studied that, you, you, you might remember that the word blessed, the reason this was such a, a provocative statement by Jesus is that the word blessed was in the Greek language, in the Greek philosophers, was reserved for the gods. It was a divine word, right? Because the gods... Were, were, were separate, their, their joy and their happiness was completely disconnected from the human world. And so human suffering, human circumstances were not, did not affect the gods. The gods were blessed. They had a, another level of joy that, that we could never understand. And, and Jesus launches this grenade into the religious system of the day and says, in my kingdom, the blessed are those who are poor in spirit. The blessed are those who mourn. The blessed are the meek. The blessed are those who are persecuted. And, and what he was saying is that that blessing is, is, is less about what you get from God and it's more about how you are like God. I, I think I, I could say it this way. The more connected you are to God through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, the more disconnected you will be from your circumstances. And that is blessing. He says, rejoice in the Lord always, in every circumstance. Divine joy is separated from circumstance. And and you, you might suspect that this is not unique to Philippians 4. Let, let me just give you a few examples of where we see this in other places in the New Testament. James 1, 2, 
Count it all joy when you go through trials. Joy is separate from circumstances. Matthew 5, 12, rejoice when you are persecuted. Romans 5, 3, we rejoice in our sufferings. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. 1 Thessalonians 5, which Lord willing, Toby will be in next week. Don't repay evil for evil, rejoice always. Again, in Colossians 1, I rejoice in my sufferings. 1 Peter 1, rejoice though you are grieved in many trials. Man, doesn't that sound strange? Rejoice while you're grieving. That is a divine joy that is separate from circumstances. See, what we see in the scriptures, what we see in Philippians 4 is that true joy only comes from God. God is the source of true joy. A few verses that just reinforce this, um, uh, there are hundreds, here's three. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Notice it didn't say, in your answers to prayer there is fullness of joy. It says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. Joy is connected to prayer because it's connected to God. Psalm 21 says essentially the same thing, for you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. Jesus tells his disciples, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. True joy only comes from God and that joy is disconnected from circumstances. You see, instead of saying prayer is a conduit to, to God's blessing, which is a bit too nebulous, um, I think we can say that prayer is a conduit to divine joy. The very act of praying brings divine joy. We see that in, in several ways in these verses. The first, the first way we see that is when it says rejoice in the Lord, that that act of rejoicing in the Lord is an act of worship. It is an act of praise. It is a very act of prayer, rejoicing in the Lord. And then it says, rejoice in the Lord always in all things, <clears throat> in everything. And that's only going to be possible <laughs> if in everything by prayer with thanksgiving you take everything to the Lord. You see that, 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 that phrase, with thanksgiving, is an important clue that joy and prayer are inseparable. Spurgeon said about this, this passage that if, if joy and prayer had a child, its name would be thanksgiving. And, and it's, there's, a, there's a symbiotic relationship between prayer and joy. When we are filled with joy, we rejoice in the Lord, and that drives us to pray with thanksgiving. When we pray with thanksgiving, it fills us with joy, so we rejoice in the Lord, which drives us to pray with thanksgiving, which makes us rejoice in the Lord. Regardless of the answer to the prayer. We see this connection several other places in the New Testament, Romans 12, where it said, rejoice in, the, in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Next week in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, we'll see rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Inseparable. 
You see, when, when we pray, what, what are we doing when we pray? We, we are going to our eternal, omnipotent, all-knowing, loving, gracious, merciful creator and father. And that very act will guard us from those things that will erode our joy. Anti-joy, things like complaining. Things like just a negativity towards my circumstances. A, a, an impatience in my circumstances. A frustration with my circumstances, which usually leads to, to anger in my circumstances. Self-pity. Oh, that's, a, that's an awful one. Erodes my joy. You see, the, the, the great thing about divine joy is that its source is in God. And, and so you know what that means? There's, there's, it's a great encouragement and a, and a sobering thought at the same time. <clears throat> because joy comes from God and its source is in God, you know, that means that no one can take my joy from me. Nothing can take my joy from me. No circumstance can take my joy from me. But I can give it away. The only one that can take my joy from me is me. Right? And I say, I'm going to give my joy away for, for complaining. I'm going to give my joy away for frustration. I'm going to give my joy away for anger. I'm going to give my joy away That's the only way I'm going to lose it, is if I give it away. And, and, and think about the sobering part of that is, think about what we're saying. Remember when we talk about divine joy is being content, satisfied, and grateful regardless of the circumstances. When I give away my joy for any of those other things, I'm, what I'm really saying, I would never say this out loud, but what I'm really saying is, God, you are not enough. What you have given me is not enough. I'm not content with what you've given me. My salvation in Jesus is not enough. The promise of eternal life is not enough. The promises of an, of an inheritance in the new heaven and the new earth, in the presence of God for all of eternity where there is fullness of joy is not enough. So I'm going to give away my joy for complaining. I'm going to give away my joy for frustration. Nobody can take away my joy but me. And we need to hold on to divine joy, and we do that through prayer with thanksgiving. So what about peace? <clears throat> Let me read um, verses six, through six and seven again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. <clears throat> and the peace of God, which passes all, surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Notice again, uh, this isn't just peace, it's divine peace. This isn't human peace. Human peace is a mirage. Human peace is a deception, because human peace comes from, from some, I've deceived myself to think I've got some level of control, right? I've got money in a bank, I've got a good job, you know, things are going okay at, at home, you know, my kids are healthy, right? I'm, 
Life's good. That is so fragile, right? Because it's tied to circumstance. One of those things changes. My peace is gone. Human peace is so fragile. This is not human peace. This is divine peace. This is the peace of God. And again, for our purposes this morning, maybe we'll define it this way. It certainly includes these things. Divine peace results in resting in God's sovereignty and trusting in his goodness, regardless of circumstance. That sounds easy enough, doesn't it? Resting in God's sovereignty, trusting in his goodness. It's disconnected from circumstances. Uh, Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in every circumstance, by prayer, with thanksgiving. And, and he says, if you do that, the, in verse 7, and the peace of God really means, as a result, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, that's human understanding, this is a divine peace, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Just like true joy only comes from God, true peace only comes from God. Just a few verses here of the, again, the hundreds that we could put up here. Uh, Isaiah 26, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Psalm 29, the Lord gives his people strength, the Lord blesses his people with peace. Jesus in John 14, peace I leave with you, peace, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. And, and you know what's coming for the disciples. 2 Thessalonians 3, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way, in every circumstance, divine peace. And then Jesus again, finally, in, in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Human peace, roller coaster, right? Very fragile. Divine peace, if you've ever gotten a message from Toby or seen him write something or blog, he signs it, stay steady. You've seen that? I love that. that that's only possible with divine joy, with divine peace, right? Human joy, human peace, Divine joy, divine peace, steady. A picture that's often used uh, connected with peace is peace in the storm. You've ever heard that analogy? And I, I got a picture here. When I think of a peace in the storm, I, I take it to the extreme of thinking, you know, what a storm on the ocean would be like. I've never been in a storm on the ocean. Maybe you have. Hopefully you were in a really big boat if you were. But a storm on the ocean right? Waves are crashing over your heads. The winds are howling. It's, it's utter chaos, right? I can only imagine. I've seen movies, right? So I know what it's like. Utter chaos on the surface. If you could take a step back and look at that in perspective, what you would see is that storm is happening at about the, the top 50 feet of that ocean and that ocean is 30,000 feet deep. On the surface, chaos. In the depths, peace, calm. They're, they're in, 
in divine peace. There is an anchor deep in our souls. That though chaos is on the surface of our circumstances, we have an anchor deep that keeps us steady. That belies our circumstances. That has no human explanation. And that is divine peace. And we see again that prayer is a conduit to divine peace just like it was to divine, divine joy. In everything by prayer and as a result, the peace of God. And it says it'll guard your hearts and minds. I, lo- I love that picture. This is an interesting word play here because <laughs> Paul is, is talking about peace and he uses a military war word. Guard your hearts and minds. The picture of that's really, really uh, useful for me. It's, it's, it's a picture of a garrison of soldiers surrounding a camp to protect it. I, I love that picture when I think about the, what, we, what we started with, that you are vital to the ministry of this church and the ministry of prayer, right? As, as we pray, we surround this ministry with prayer. And we don't, want any, we don't want any gaps. Right? We all need to be praying. But that's the picture it gives us of our hearts and minds, that when we pray, it guards our hearts and minds. It surrounds us with protection to guard us from those things that would undermine our peace. Things like anxiety, as he says here. Worry. Doubt. Fear. And we have the same encouragement and the same soberness as we have with joy in that because this is divine peace, nobody can take it from me. No circumstance can take my peace. No person can take my peace. But I can give it away. And when I give away my joy, I'm saying, God, you're not enough. When I give away my peace, remember divine peace is resting in God's sovereignty and trusting in his goodness when I give away my peace for worry and I give away my peace for doubt and I give away my peace for fear, I'm saying, God, I don't trust you. I don't trust in your sovereignty, I don't trust in your power, or I don't think you're good. So I'm going to take this. I'm giving away my peace and I'm going to take worry. I'm giving away my peace and I'm going to take doubt. I'm going to give away my peace and I'm going to take fear. No one takes those things from us. We give them up willingly. And we need to hold on to the peace of God. And that only comes through prayer. As, as, we, as we finish this, I thought it might be good to, to talk specifically as to how prayer brings us divine joy, supports divine joy, how prayer connects us to divine peace and I just wrote these, these things out as an encouragement to myself, and maybe you'll be encouraged by them as well. Prayer connects us to divine joy by reminding us of our dependence that everything I have is from God, and thus reminding me of his provision. That's going to help me to be content and satisfied and grateful regardless of circumstances. 
it reminds me of my standing as a child of God. I don't go to him, you know, as, as, as we said before, a distant dictator. I go to him as my father. I'm not standing on the, on the trembling on the outside of the tabernacle. I'm, the veil has been written too. I'm walking into the throne room. Not as a fearful subject, but as a child, as his son, as my father. If I have that attitude and awareness in prayer, that's going to help me be content and satisfied and grateful regardless of the answer to that prayer. It reminds us of our access to the throne because we have Jesus at the right hand interceding for us. Praying reminds us that this world is temporary, gives us an eternal perspective, and praying reminds or fills us with gratitude. The very act of praying connects us to divine joy regardless of the answer. What about peace? Prayer connects us to peace by reminding us of God's sovereignty. We're going to him because we believe he can help us. It reminds us of his power. It strengthens our faith. It brings us closer to him. It makes us more like Jesus. It conforms our will to his will. Prayer is not me going to God to to try to change his will. Prayer changes my will and conforms it to his will so that I can pray according to his will. You've probably heard me describe this before, that when when a boat would come into uh, a particularly shallow area, um, they would, they would take a boat hook and throw it and connect it to the shore, right? And then the, the, the men in the boat would, would pull the rope and then pull the boat to the shore. They weren't pulling the shore to the boat. When we pray, I'm not pulling God's will to mine, right? I'm pulling my will to his. And then the last thing I would say that applies both to joy and peace is that prayer may not change my circumstances, but it, mo- it most definitely will change me. Yes. R.C. Sproul has this quote that's maybe fairly well known. <clears throat> prayer does change things, all kinds of things, but the most important thing it changes is us. As we engage in this communion with God more deeply and come to know the one with whom we are speaking more intimately, that growing knowledge of God reveals to us all the more brilliantly who we are and our need to change in conformity to him. Prayer changes us profoundly. Philippians 4 challenges our view of prayer. Prayer is not something I do to get something from God. Prayer is something I do to be close to God. And in that is the blessing of divine joy divine peace, regardless of circumstances, regardless of the answers. And it passes all human understanding. Uh, let, me, let me close with this. We had an interesting discussion in our Sunday school class last week and, and um, a lot of really good insights. And, and it was a, a discussion that I think is a fitting end to our time this morning. And um, it, was, it was about a a phrase that I find myself using that in the class many people have said that they, they use it, we hear, we hear it all the time, and it's usually a phrase that, 
that we hear when, when we're talking about circumstances, right? We're talking about something going on in our lives that is particularly difficult. Maybe it's something financial, maybe it's something with your job, maybe it's something with your health. And somebody asks you how you're doing and you say something like this, you know, I can't complain. I know a lot of people worse off than me. Have you ever said that? Ever had that thought? Ever heard that thought? Somebody said that? Can't complain. You know, a lot of people are worse off than me. And, and when, on, when I think about that, you know, I think in, in a lot of ways that's, that's a useful exercise And that anytime you can pull yourself out of your circumstances and look at the bigger picture, that's called perspective. That's a good thing. Right? If it keeps you from complaining, that's a good thing. If it fills you with gratitude, that's a good thing. If it makes you more generous because you, you see what you have, that's, that's a good thing. The, the, the challenge, though, the caution in that is what I'm doing when I say something like that, that there's people a lot worse off than me, what I'm doing is I'm creating a hierarchy of people, right? I'm here, there's people a lot worse off than me, and there's people better off than me. And, and we could argue, okay, is making a hierarchy good or bad? The, the real question is, what criteria am I using to create this hierarchy, Right? It's, it's, well, you know, and, and it's, it's based on how, when I use that statement, right? It's, it's based on how much money. It's a, it's a financial thing. You know, I'm having some financial issues, but, but hey, people got it worse off than me. You know, I, it's a job thing. You know, I've, I don't like my job, but hey, people have a lot worse jobs than me. You know, it's, it's a health thing. You know, I'm going through these struggles, but people have a lot worse than me. You see, you see what those things are? They're all, they're all temporal. They're all earthly. They're all superficial. They're all circumstantial. I, and if I'm not careful, this is talking to me, if I say something like, if I'm not careful, right, I'm, I'm creating a worldview that says, you know, those that are worse off than me, they have less stuff than I do, and those that are better off than me have more stuff than I do. And it's a very, right, it's, it, blessing has to do with how much stuff I have. That's a very dangerous theology, or a very dangerous worldview, Right? Because Jesus, <laughs> what Jesus said was, in my kingdom, you can be the bottom person on that list, and nobody has it worse off than you are. And if you have Jesus, you're blessed. You can be the bottom person on that list, but if you have Jesus, you can rejoice in the Lord always. You can have a peace that passes understanding. And by, and by the way, if you're the top person on that list and nobody has it better off than you and you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. And the opposite of blessing in the New Testament isn't unhappiness. The, the opposite of blessing is, no, you're under the curse of sin. You're under the wrath of God. The next time I, 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 may, I start to make that statement, I can't complain, I should stop myself right there and say, I can't complain because I have Jesus. That's enough regardless of my circumstances. If you're here this morning and, and, and this idea of divine peace and divine joy is a completely foreign concept to you and, and you want to know more about this Jesus, listen, the only difference between you and the person next to you and the pew that's been nodding their head and amening the whole time is that they've received the grace of God. That's the only difference. It's nothing in and of ourselves. Right, at some point, we came to the point where we gave up on ourselves. We gave up on our own goodness and our own works. 
We turn from our sin and we turn to the one who could save us, Jesus Christ. The one who met God's perfect standard with his perfect righteousness. The one who sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And then rose again so that we could have eternal life. And if you don't know that, if you don't know Jesus... I don't care how high you are on the, on the ladder or low you are on the ladder, you are not blessed without him. And come talk to us. Come talk to me. Let's talk about Jesus. Come have lunch with me and my wife. We'll go talk about Jesus. He's the only way that we can be blessed. He's the only way we can have joy. He can, he's the only way we can have peace. And those things are connected to prayer. Prayer itself is a blessing. May that drive us to pray more this week. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for the gift and the privilege and the command of prayer. That you are sovereign over all things and yet you, you work through prayer. We don't understand that, but we rest in that and we trust in that. I pray that you would, we would stir in our hearts a fervent desire to know you more, which will drive us to prayer. A fervent desire for a divine joy and a divine peace that is separate from circumstances, and that will drive us to prayer. May we be a praying church for your glory. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen.